This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. It's the first service of 2018. What's up? Yeah, it's exciting, man. And, uh, you know, I was looking back on 2017 was just a phenomenal year at High Desert Word Center. Uh, you know, I look around at all the, you know, the people that were added to the church and uh, all the work done to the building here, the carpet, the roof, the the wall. I mean, it's it's incredible, and and uh, God gets all the glory. But that excites me for 2018, man. What is God going to do in 2018? It's going to be a really, really incredible year for everybody that'll step up and use their faith, not only for church but in your own personal lives. Who has some testimonies that God did something in 2017? Did God bail anybody out? Come on, it's you can be loud, it's church, okay? This is it's not the library, okay? So listen to me, God really did some great things in our lives, and that excites me so much for what's uh, what's going to be coming in the, in the coming months, man. It's good stuff. So tonight, what we're going to be talking about, though, the title is this, is The Greater Mentality. The Greater Mentality. And what I'm talking about is, as a Christian... We should have an attitude and a confidence about us that lines up with 1 John 4.4. 4. Who knows what 1 John 4.4 4 says? But, okay, well, I mean, well, well let's, let's just look at it then. 1 John 4.4, 4, which seems to be a shortage of people that have memorized 1 John 4.4, 4, and that's fine. That's what we're here for. But let's look at this. 1 John 4.4, 4, and you need to have this attitude, this mentality about you that no matter what comes up against you, God's greater. Amen? God's greater. So 1 John 4.4, 4, and I'm sure after we read this, you'll realize how familiar this verse really is to you, but... 1 John 4, 4 says this, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who's heard that one before? Alright, let's say that with me. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so, you have to realize that whatever comes against you, if it's something of this world, and if it's of the one who is of this world, which is speaking of the devil, then greater is he who is in you than the problem coming up against you. That's pretty good news. I mean, if, if that's, if, I mean, if, if that's how I'm starting my year this year is standing on First John four four, I am going to have a fabulous year because whatever comes against me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. I've already got the answer. This is a good way to start your year off. And, and you know, one thing that I realize is people have different mentalities. I've known people that just by their nature have a timid and fearful mentality about them. Have you ever known somebody that just has a fearful mentality? And, and I mean, they're, they're intimidated by everybody and everything. They're scared. They're, they're, they're always wondering, expecting the worst in life. It's just their mentality. I mean, it doesn't even have to be that bad of a day. And they're like, oh, man, I just, I don't know. It's, it's bad out there. It's a bad world, but it's getting worse. The worst is yet to come. And they just got that mentality. And then you know some people that they've just got a confidence. They could have just got the worst news in the world, and they step outside. 
Oh, man, this is going to be a good day. This is going to be a really good day. And that's the type of thing I'm talking about is that is how the born-again Christian should be. They've got the greater mentality that no matter what they're presented with, it doesn't matter if the doctor just said, well, you've got four months or, hey, you've got the best health I've ever seen. Well, greater is he that sent me than he that's in the world. I don't, I don't care what you say. God is greater This is something that I'm talking about. And when you have the greater mentality, you are an extremely stable individual. Because bad news doesn't shake you. Greater is he that sent me than he is in the world. You get good news? Oh, that's good, but I already knew that. Thank you. You're just confirming what I already knew because greater is he that sent me than he is in the world. So when you have this 1 John 4-4 mentality, you're stable, man. No matter what comes up against you, no matter what people say, no matter what's on the news, no matter what they say at your job, no matter what comes against you, you're stable and it doesn't shake you. And I can tell you, if there's one thing that this world needs in 2018, it's stable people. There's a lot of instability going on around here, man. There's some unstable people in this world and they're scary people. They do dumb things. Because they're unstable. You never know what they're going to say, how they're going to react, what their temperament's going to be. We don't need that. We need 1 John 4, 4 people. Well, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I don't care what's going on in this world because greater is he that is in me than he that's in this world. And so you have to get this mentality about you. You've got to have a toughness. You've got to have a confidence and if I may put it this way, young people, you got to have some spiritual swag. You know what I mean? I mean, it sounded good in my mind when I had written that down, but okay. So, well, let, let's, we'll get there. We'll get you guys there. You're, yeah. It's going to be a long night if I have to throw the ball and catch it, too. So, you're going to give me a little response here. I can't be the quarterback and the receiver. We need a little amen in the, you know, anyway, we'll get there. All right. Whew, thank you, Jesus. All right. So, number one is this. What's your mentality? What's your mentality? Number one, we're going to look at the grasshopper mentality. Because some of you have the grasshopper mentality. I'm not saying you personally, but some people have what we refer to in the Bible as the grasshopper mentality. And I want to look at the book of Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. Praise God. I was at a Presbyterian church one time. They put you guys to shame. (laughs) That's not me. (laughs) The Lutherans, they shouted you guys down. All right. We'll edit this one before it goes online. Numbers chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 27 and 28. So we're looking at the children of Israel right here. So Moses comes and they get out of Egypt. They've been slaves for 400 years. That is like several generations, 10, 12, whatever, generations of people that the Israelite people have lived in slavery to the Egyptians, doing whatever they said, eating what they said, going to bed when they said. They were owned by these people. And Moses comes and God miraculously, as you know, through the plagues and everything else, they are rescued from 
400 years of slavery. And so they get out and God says, I've got a promised land for you, a land. It is beautiful. It is flowing with milk and honey. And for what does that mean for us? That means this land has got everything you need. There's provision there. It's got, I mean, you just, you just walk right in and take it. It is yours for the taking. You're not going to have to be slaves anymore. You're not going to, you're just, you just go in and own this place, man. And so this was good news. This was super good news. And so they get rescued. They get out. And as you know, Pharaoh changes his mind and he chases them to the Red Sea. But God parts the waters. They walk right through the middle of the Red Sea. And then when the Egyptians get in, the waters come back down and drown all of them. All of all of his Pharaoh's chariots and, and horsemen and all this stuff, they drown. And God delivers his children miraculously at so many times. And so they get to this land, the promised land, and Moses says, all right, what we got to do here is we're going to send in some spies. We're going to kind of scout the land out, get a feel for it, and let's see. I mean, this is this is an exciting day. We're going to send, so they send 12 guys in, one from each of the 12 tribes. They send them in there, and, and, and here's what happens. They get in there. Look at Numbers chapter 13, starting at verse 27. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. And so they're just shocked. They're like, it is everything that God said that it's going to be. And in fact, you read this chapter, it says one cluster of grapes was so big, it took two grown men to carry it on a pole on their shoulders. That's some big grapes right there, man. That is some big grape. And this is literal stuff. It's, this is every, the pomegranates were huge. I mean, this is just bountiful. They, they were walking in to paradise right here. And so, sure enough, the, the spies, they say, oh man, it, you weren't lying, Moses. This is a land. It is bountiful. It's flowing with milk and honey. Here's some of the fruit. But the people living there are powerful. There's problems. Their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants up there, the descendants of Anak. And so they're, I mean, look at this. They get there and they're like, it's everything we've ever dreamed, but we're not getting in. I'll tell you that right now. There's, there's big people there, Moses. There's, there, there's towns. There's fortified cities. I mean, I, yeah, we, the Red Sea, I get all that, but these guys are giants, dude. And so I'm thinking, out of all the things that you've seen God do, now you're afraid of tall people? Just because they're tall doesn't mean that they're like, you know, amazing. Okay, I've seen some really clumsy tall people in my day. Anyway, that's totally, totally beside the point. But they get there and they're like, God, man, you, it is everything we've ever wanted. This is everything. But we're not getting in, guys. I'm sorry, sorry to crush your dreams. Look at the next few verses. Verse 32. Skip down to verse 32. It says, so they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites the land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. That's a lie. Not everybody was. There were some giants, but not everybody was a giant. And whenever you start to believe the devil's lies, you magnify them to where it just gets out. Have you ever done that? You got like a paper cut. The next thing you know, I think it's cancer. You know, I mean, people, they just magnify the problem. And people do dumb things like this. And so they're like, they, they, there were some giants. It says there were some 
giants there. But next thing you know, by the time the rumor mill gets started and they spread it around, every, pass it on, everybody's a giant. They, by the time everybody, the whole community hears it, every last one of them is a giant. Everyone, 100% of them. And that was not true. And so they spread this bad report around. Verse 33 says, we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. First of all, how do they know what those guys were thinking? They, I don't think they went out and asked them. But in their own eyes, they said, in our own eyes, we were as grasshoppers. We felt like grasshoppers. And that was their mentality. And there's a lot of people that I know, a lot of Christians in 2018 that have the grasshopper mentality. God's rescued them from slavery. God has brought them out of the muck and the mire. He's healed them. He's saved them. He's restored their family. And here they are up next to the promised land. And, they're the, and, and of course, there's going to be a battle. There's, a, there's always got to be a battle if you want to get to the promises of God, man. You've got to fight for it. And so here they are, Christians in our day and age. They get to where the promised land is. And they're like, you know what? I know God did that, but not, not this time, man. I feel like a grasshopper right now. This is huge. These are giants we're talking about right here. And that cannot be the mentality that you have. Do you want to live in the promised land? Okay. <laughs> Good. I, that's not a trick question. That's not a setup. That's just, just be honest. Let's shoot straight with each other here. I want to live in the promised land. I believe that it exists. I believe that God has a place in my life that he's called me to where he's going to bless me at, and I'm going to inherit the promises of God. I don't think that's a lie, something that we just made up to trick us into being good boys and girls. There really is a promised land that God has for us, but you are not going to get there if you see yourself as a grasshopper. You're not going to get there. And you have to realize that even though God delivered them from all these people, they get there and there's still some giants to defeat. There's, there's always going to be battles to fight because we are called to fight the good fight of faith. I hope that I'm fighting the good fight of faith for the next hundred years. I, I, even if I'm a hundred years old, I still want to be fighting the fight of faith, man. I still want to have things that I'm fighting for. I don't want to say, well, I've achieved it all. I'm just going to sit here and die now. I mean, what else is there to do? No. We are called to live our lives by faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You aren't going to make God very happy if you're not a person that lives by faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. And so these guys, they've seen God work miracle after miracle. He sent these plagues to Egypt. I mean, can you imagine the whole Nile River turning to blood? I, I can't even imagine seeing something like the entire river turns to blood. There's, there's all these different plagues going on, and yet the Israelites, they're spared from it, and God keeps delivering them, and here they are, and they're like, oh, great, tall people. I knew it. They're, they're giants. Why do we do things like that? And so, you know, it's easy to laugh at them, but my question is, what's your excuse? God delivered you. He's worked miracles in your life, and here you are scared of the next situation. What's your? Go ahead and laugh at them, but let's laugh at you for a minute. What's your excuse for why you're afraid of this current problem? There's no good reason. Yeah, thank you. There's no good reason. 
why, why would we be afraid if God is on our side? And, and I, I found this acronym that I like for fear. Fear is just false evidence appearing real. It's false evidence appearing real. And, and why do I say, well, false evidence? Because, because of this. God cannot lie. Titus 1-2, you mark that down. Titus 1-2 says that God cannot lie. And so if I am presented with something in my life that is contrary to the word of God, I am being presented with a lie. It's false evidence appearing real to me. And so if someone comes up to me and says, you are absolutely broke, you're going under this time, you're not going to make it out of this one, well, the word of God says that God shall supply all my needs. Philippians 4, 19, well, 3 John 2 says that he wishes above all things that I'd prosper and be in health even as my soul prospers. And so if the evidence being presented to me is contrary to what God's word says for me, I'm being presented with a lie. And I am not going to believe a lie over the word of God. And you're saying, well, that, that may be fact. Well, that may be a fact, but it's not the truth. Facts are not the same as the truth of God's word. The truth can change the facts if we will believe the truth. The truth will set you free, Jesus said, John 8, 32. The truth will set you free if you'll believe the truth and you'll receive the truth. So just because the facts say you're broke, just because the facts say you're sick, just because the facts say your kids are a mess, just because the facts say that your marriage and your home is just going nuclear... The truth says God wants it to be different. God wants you to have peace, love, joy, health, provision. All these things is what God wants. So who are you going to believe? The fear factor? Are you going to believe the faith factor and believe what God's word says in your life? If you are presented with something contrary to the word of God, it is a lie. I like something that Charles Barkley said, the great, the round mound of rebound, the basketball player. Charles Barkley said that as a player, he loved to crush the other team's spirit. I'm like, man, that sounds vicious, but, but seriously, he said, if you can crush your opponent's spirit, you make them feel helpless, and they end up beating themselves. And I'm like, man, that's, that's pretty deep. And I mean, he was a pretty vicious player too, if you're a basketball fan, but anyway, but, that, that's just it, man. If, if, if you're on the athletic field, if you're in battle, you don't feel sorry for the other guys. We're up by 50. So what? We should be up by 60 right now. Get back out there and play even harder. You know, that's, that's what a warrior's mentality is like. And sometimes as Christians, we get a little victory, get a little breather. Well, we're up, we're up pretty comfortable right now. Things are good, man. We got the money. I don't know. Let's, let's just, let's let off a little bit. Let's take it easy. Let's, let's just, we can chill out just a little bit and take a breather. Never, ever, ever stop to take a breather. Never, ever. I don't care how comfortable you are. Sometimes there's more danger in being comfortable as a Christian than there is of having your back against the wall. Because when your back's against the wall, you're swinging and fighting and studying. Then when you're comfortable, that's honestly, that's one of the most dangerous places that we can be because we're like, oh, it's good, man. We're, we're through that. Whatever. Let's just, all right. And, and you, you let go of, you start letting go of the Bible a little bit, your prayer time, your praise time, your church time. And after a while, you just, you start letting go of stuff because you're comfortable. That is dangerous, man. You need to wake up every day ready to fight the good fight of faith like your life depends on it, man. 
That's what a warrior does. That's what a champion does. They don't take it easy. And I think about the great, you know, I, I like sports. I think about the great basketball players that I've studied. Man, even when they had just won the championship that year, Larry Bird would be out there shooting 2,000 jump shots all summer long, even though he just won a title. Everyone else is like, you just won it, man. What's, what's your problem? It's not good enough. Like, we're going to have to do better next year. They're coming back even bigger and harder at us next year. you got to get ready. And that's what a mature Christian does. That's why you see guys like Kenneth Copeland, 81 years old, dancing, running, flying jet airplanes at 81. What's up with that? How do you do that at 81 years old? Because you didn't get comfortable. You fought every stinking day of your life like your life depended on it. You didn't get comfortable. You were hungry. You were desperate to be in the presence of God every single day. And so... When you have the grasshopper mentality, you're like, oh, what's the use? I don't get it. I mean, yeah, sure, God healed me and saved me before, but this time it's different. This is just, it's bigger and worse than ever this time. That's the grasshopper mentality. And listen, you're not getting into the promised land. We're going to have to be waving at you from the inside and licking our, licking, licking the honey off our fingers, okay? But you're going to be looking at us eating those big old pomegranates, making some jam, and you're going to be looking at us. Listen, God wants you in the promised land, but grasshoppers don't get there. And so, number two, what's your mentality? We're going to look at the greater mentality, the spiritual swag. You have to have some edge on you as a Christian. And, and you know, some people say, well, that sounds arrogant. You can... You know, we're not talking about being arrogant in yourself. We're talking about being super confident because of who's backing you. Because God is on your side. Amen. I mean, if I went up to, you know, war against the enemy all by myself, I I wouldn't be that confident. But knowing that I've got God and the heavenly host right behind me, the Lord of hosts, I've got millions of angels standing right behind me. I, I, yeah, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna talk a little trash right there. Yes, I am. I'm gonna get just a little bit cocky because, listen, I'm not afraid anymore because I'm not depending on me. I'm dependent on Him. And He's not afraid of giants. He's not afraid of sickness. He's not afraid of your situation. And so neither should you be. So let's look at Caleb's report because 12 spies were sent in. 10 were sissies. But two, Joshua and Caleb, they came back with a totally different report than the other ten. And so I can tell you this, if you're going to have the greater mentality, you're going to be in the minority. You may have 20% maybe have it. Out, 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 out of this out of this situation, out of 12 people, two had it. And I'm telling you what, I'm going to be one of the two that has the greater mentality and says, well, you could look at it this way, or you could look at it this way. What's, what's, your, what's your mentality? What's your view of things? And so let's look at Caleb's report, Numbers chapter 13, Verse 30. So they're all out there crying and talking about how beautiful it is, but how sad it is. Verse 30. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. So all these guys are saying, yeah, it's beautiful, but there's giants there. He's saying, I say we go right now. Let's not waste any time. Let's go at once to conquer the land. We can certainly do this. Everybody, let's go. They're looking at the same piece of real estate here. What's going on? How come ten people saw danger and shattered dreams and Joshua and Caleb see, oh, this is, this is the best opportunity of our lives. It couldn't get any better than this. 
And look at chapter 14, verses 7 through 9. Chapter 14, verses 7 through 9. And so, if you look at the end of chapter 13 and, and uh, the beginning, chapter 14, verse 1, if you were to look at that, it says, the whole community began weeping out loud and they cried all night long. Chapter 14, verse 1. Grown men crying all night long. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's okay to cry sometimes as a guy, but that's not okay right there. There is something wrong with that. You need to have a little bit more something, backbone or something in you. You don't cry all night in front of your wife and kids. That's bad. And so, anyway, the whole community of people, men, women, children, they're all all night long crying and not just crying. They're weeping all night long because they're like, God said we could have it and now we can't. The giants are bigger than God. That's that's what they're saying, and that's what you're telling God whenever you say that the problem's too big for him. You're saying, God, I know you're big, but this is bigger, so I'm sorry about you. But I, That's what you're telling God. Don't tell God that. He's bigger and better than your problem. Numbers 14, verse 7, Joshua and Caleb, they said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They're only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord's with us. Don't be afraid of them. Talk about two totally opposite perspectives. They get The other people are saying, man, I feel bad for us. Joshua, I feel bad for them. They don't have any protection at all. But God is on our side. They felt bad for them. The, all the rest of the people, they looked at themselves and said, man, I, this is, I feel bad for us. It's a bad day in Israel right now. And Joshua and Caleb looked at it the totally opposite way. They said, God's on our side. <laughs> they don't have anything going for them. They have nothing. They've got no protection. They're defenseless against us. They are defenseless prey for us, man. We're going to go in there and wipe them out. God's on our side. And that's how you have to see your situation right now. The grasshopper mentality says, oh, no, giants. The greater mentality says, oh, boy, giants. This is going to be the best testimony of all time. This is going to be epic when we beat this thing, man. Because, listen, there's no glory in going in and slapping around a bunch of short people and kicking them out. But there's, listen to me, when you go in there and you conquer giants, dude, people talk about that for thousands of years. And so, whenever you're presented with a great big problem, you have an epic opportunity for a massive, earth-shaking testimony. You have to look at your situation different than the average person. You get really bad news, man, this is going to be a huge test. I cannot wait to tell people about the time that I got this report, and then I went in two weeks later, and they said it was gone. Man, that's going to be awesome. I can't wait for the, oh, man, you know, yeah, this looks really bad, but this is actually really good. Because when me and God conquer this thing, oh, we're going to embarrass the devil so bad when we tell everybody around us what a fool he is and how God embarrassed him yet again. How do you see your situation? Do you feel sorry for yourself? Need a tissue? (laughs) 
You need to cry for me. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a sympathetic guy. Forgive me. I'm a sympathetic guy. I seriously am. Very, very soft-hearted. Very much am. But at the same time, sympathy didn't heal me a cancer. Nobody's sympathy, no tears, healed me a cancer when I had it. The power of God did. So I would rather, if I get a batter, I would rather you not cry a tear for me at all and just slap me in the face and say, wake up, quit feeling sorry for yourself, get up and fight. I'd rather you do that than sit there and cry me to death because that's not going to help me at all. If I'm in a bad situation, man, if I lose my, and everything's coming against me, don't cry for me. Slap me in the face and say, the word of God says, by Jesus' stripes, you're healed. The word of God says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. There is a time for sympathy. I get that, and forgive me, I'm not making light of that. But what I'm saying is this, that doesn't get you into the promised land. These people weeped all night long, and guess what ended up happening? God said, all those that doubted, not a single one is getting in. Joshua and Caleb, you and your family, you can get in, but the rest of you, head out. You're going out into the, have some time out in the wilderness. You're not, you guys are not entering the promised land until every last one of the complainers and criers dies. And so for 40 years, you can look at a map. I'm sure Lemuel could confirm this much better than me. He's the scholar here, but look at a map. They made it from Egypt to Canaan in a pretty short amount of time. You look at the path they took for 40 years. They're walking circles in the desert for 40 years. Until they all died. And you do the math on how many people were in the nation of Israel at that time. That equals thousands of people every day for 40 years dying off. You're seeing this every single day. Until all the men that were of fighting age, that were, you know, criers and doubted God, they all died off. Then finally God said, okay, you can go in now. Caleb was 85 years old. Caleb was 85 years old when they got there. And so I'm going off track here. But Moses, he's, he's distributing the plots of land. Yeah, you can have that. And he, he's fixing to give Caleb a nice little plot in the retirement community on the golf course. And Caleb says, no, no, I was promised a mountain. I want my mountain. This is in the book of Joshua. And he's like, you sure, bro? You're like 85 right now. You're kind of, and he says, nope. I was promised a mountain. I want my mountain. And so Joshua says, okay, there's your mountain, but there's giants up there. He's 85 stinking years old. Caleb climbs a mountain at 85, kicks all the giants out, and conquers the mountain for himself and lives the rest of his day on a mountain because that's what, that's what a warrior says. That's what a, that, that's what a true heroic man of God, woman of God says. Like, no, I'm not settling for the retirement. I was promised a mountain. I'm going to take my mountain. I don't care how old I am. I want my mountain. And so that's what Caleb did. And so what's your mentality? I was listening to this sermon from when Kenny Gatlin was here on September 10th. You should go to our podcast and look back to September 10th. One of the best sermons I've ever heard in my life. Maybe the best sermon was on September 10th. Preach of this church by Kenny Gatlin. But he was telling this story marine and iraq he kicked down he was somehow ended up by himself he kicks down a door to this house and he's surrounded by seven taliban soldiers seven of them and one of him they've all got guns on him and he's seven to one and so the typical person's mentality is 
okay, how am I going to run and get out of this situation? There's seven to one. I already know I can't win this. How can I run and just somehow survive? But this Marine says, okay, and he's thinking all this. He's holding this rifle, and they're all, he's surrounded. Okay, seven of them, one of me. I've got to kill seven. How am I going to kill seven guys? Okay, let's do this. He killed all seven of them. He got shot a few times, but he killed all seven of them by himself. Seven against one. He was surrounded. How did he do that? Because he had a warrior mentality. A grasshopper would have, I mean, a grasshopper would have been, would have, wouldn't even made it out the door. But when you've got the mentality of a warrior, when you're Rambo on the inside and you're surrounded by the enemy, you say, all right, fine, there's seven. I don't care. I thought I was going to fight one. Seven's just as good. That'll be even more, you know, even, even better story to tell later on. But that's how you look at battles when you're a warrior. When you're a grasshopper, you say, how can I get out of this? When you're a warrior, you say, man, how am I going to beat this one? This is going to be great. Seven kills at once. Woo! We don't want to say that at church, though. Okay, so let's look at number, well, no. Okay, let me say this. (laughs) Have you ever heard of the fight mentality versus the flight mentality? Some people, their first instinct when presented with danger is flight. How can I get out of this? But there's a rare breed of people where their first mentality is, okay, how can I beat this situation? A Christian, in, in my honest opinion, Christians are called to have the fight mentality. What it tells us to do, fight the good fight of faith. Amen? Not run from the terrible fight that's going to come against you. Just run, find the quickest way out of there, and just go get run before it kills you. It doesn't say that. It says, fight the good fight of faith. We need fighters in the kingdom of God. I wonder how many people, how many soldiers we've lost over the years because they couldn't take it. And they, they, it was flight for them. They took off, man. And God had called them to be a great preacher. God had called them to be a great something. But it never happened because they missed their calling because as soon as the enemy showed up, they went and they ran. They ran. And, you know, there's one thing. A lot of people, they're really great on the target range. Some people, I know, they can quote scriptures all day long. Man, I've memorized James. I've memorized the whole book of Hebrew. And, like, that's really cool, man. That's great target range practice, and you need that. But what happens when the enemy's actually firing back? We need people with combat experience, man. I mean, I've gone out there. I've shot a lot of targets. I'm great out there, but I've never actually been in battle in Iraq or something. I, I probably wouldn't do so good. And the natural, when it's when actually shooting back at me, I have no training in that. I've got tons of target practice training, and we've got a whole lot of Christians that are experts on the target range. But when it comes to real combat, they run. When there's a real enemy there, they, they run, man. Oh, I, I quit. Forget it. I'll go to another job. I'll go to another church. I'll go somewhere. I'll, I'll, I'll get a divorce. I'll just leave. What, I'm, out, I'm out of here, man. They quit. They don't have, they have no combat experience whatsoever. And the first time that they actually got to get off the target range and get out into the battlefield and actually fight a real enemy. And the devil says he's, he's shooting fiery darts at us. The fiery darts of the wicked. He's shooting stuff at you when there's actually stuff and you're, I mean, a lot of people, they're just like, I, I'm out. This isn't for me. I'm out of here. Peace. Have a good day. And they're, they're out of there. It shouldn't be that way. It should not be that way. We should, we should be ready at a moment's notice where if you do get a bad report, all right, let's do this, man. I have been 
ready for this all my life. I am ready to fight this thing and win. Bring it on. This is going to be a monumental testimony and black eye to the devil. When we're done with this fight, man, we are going to win. He's helpless prey to us. He has no protection, but the Lord is on our side. That's what Caleb said, and that's a warrior's mentality, but we've got a lot of people that absolutely don't have that. And so when you've got this greater mentality, the devil comes and tells you stuff, and you're like, don't care. And I was thinking about this. My daughter, Ellie, is a wonderful little girl. Beautiful, cute, and also sassy. So we got to work on that. Help me out, people. But when she was three, one of the babysitters told me, uh, she was three. We've corrected this out of her. She's, you know, got a little bit of correction for that. But when she was three, I get home with the babysitters. I told her to do something, and she said, I don't have to do that. You're not my dad. Uh-uh. Not going to do it. Not going to listen to you. Not going to listen to you. You're not my dad. And stuck her tongue out. I was like, don't do that. And so my brother jokes with me all the time about it. You're not my dad. I don't have to listen to you. Uh-uh. You're not my dad. And so... <laughs> I was like, man, you know, that's kind of sad. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't like that she did that to a babysitter and she doesn't do that anymore. But sometimes the devil comes and says stuff to me and you're going to do this. And so I had kind of, this morning, the devil, th- this very morning, I got up doing my things, have my Bible time, and the devil comes to me with a lie. And so, man, I'm up, sweatpants, cup of coffee, Bible in one hand, just stomping through my living room, going to war. And, and, and all of a sudden, the devil tells me this lie, and I'm like, uh-uh, not going to listen. No, my dad can't tell me what to do. And I still, nope, not going to listen to you, can't tell me what to do. And, I, and, and I'm like, wait a minute, I seriously just did that out loud. And that's the truth, I seriously did that this morning, several hours ago, to the devil. And, and, and the truth is this, though, like, he's not my dad. I'm not going to listen to him. He can't tell me what to do. I'm not going to obey him. Uh-uh. Uh-uh, not going to do it. Uh-uh. And that's sometimes the attitude that I think a few Christians could use. The devil says, oh, man, tell you what, you're going under. You're going to have a really super bad day today. You're going to feel sick all day long. They're going to be mean at work. Oh, you know you're going to get into it with so-and-so. You know she's going to say this, and you know it's going to be this way. And you're sitting there, yeah, it's probably, oh, man, yeah, that's right. You should be saying, uh-uh, no, uh-uh, not today. Not going to happen. Nope, not my dad. Not my dad. I don't have to listen to you. And I wish more Christians would take that type of an attitude where you said, no, I'm not listening to that stuff. Number three, why do we have this mentality? Is it because you're so cool and so powerful? If that's your attitude, then no, you're not going to last very long at all. Listen, you and your own ability and strength, you, David J. Samples, is no match for the devil on his own. He'd he'd whip me in two seconds, man. Uh, I mean, if if I I was out there trying to go up against the devil on my own, not a chance. But I have this mentality, I have this confidence, this edge, because... It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about God Almighty. And if God is for me, who can be against me? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. And so why do we have this mentality? A, Jesus did. Jesus did. I'm going to move a little bit quick here. Jesus had this mentality. John 14. Let's flip there real quick. John chapter 14. Check this out. John chapter, Jesus had some edge about him. 
And, you know, we, I've talked about this a lot lately. Jesus was tender and compassionate, but Jesus also had some edge about him. And when it was coming to things of the devil, he didn't say please and thank you. When you get away, you mean, you mean boy, you leave me alone. You're, um, no, he didn't talk like that. Jesus, he had some guts, man. And so John chapter 14, verse 30 Check this out. He's talking to the disciples, telling them about some stuff that's going to happen. But verse 30, he says, I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches me. But he has no power over me. Yeah, that's it right there. He says, I don't have a lot more. Now the ruler of this world is approaching. He's talking about the devil. But he says, but he has no power over me. Wow. That statement right there steals the deal for me. I'm not afraid of the devil because Jesus is on my side. If he, if, if he wasn't on my side, then that would be terrifying. The ruler of this world's approaching? You don't have much more time to talk, Jesus? Because the ruler of this world's approaching? No, that's bad news. But Jesus says, ah, don't worry about it. He has no power over me. That's the attitude that Jesus had. He has no power over me. He said, oh, yeah, hey, you tear this temple down and rebuild it in three days. What's up? Tear it down. I'll be back in three days. I'm not worried about it. That's the mentality that Jesus had. And so Jesus wasn't afraid of the devil. And I, I heard this, this story about this elderly woman that went missing in London during World War II. Uh, her neighbors hadn't seen her for several days. There had been bombs going off and everything. You know, and, and I mean, just the enemy coming in and, and wreaking havoc on the city. And they hadn't seen her for several days. They'd all been in the bomb shelters for several days. And so they get out and they're like, hey, did you see, where, where is she? I haven't seen her for days. And so they go looking. They can't find her anywhere. And so after about a week, she comes out of her house. Oh, hey, everyone. How you doing? Good to see you. What's up? And everyone's like, we thought you died. Where were you? What happened? Weren't you in the bomb shelter? No, I was in my house, man, living my life. What, what, what was wrong with you guys? And they're like, didn't you hear the siren? We were supposed to be in the shelter. Where were you? She said, oh, no, I read in the Bible where it says God never sleeps or slumbers. I figured, hey, if he's if he doesn't sleep, I mean, that means I should just go ahead and sleep, too. Why should both of us stay awake for a whole week? It's a pretty good thought, really. I mean, if listen, you shouldn't be losing sleep at all because God doesn't sleep anyway. So just let him stay up and take care of it. I mean, there's no need both of us staying up. I'm going to sleep great tonight. I'm going to go home tonight. My head's going to hit that pillow. There's going to be preaching going on YouTube on my phone. And I'm going to sleep all night long until three when Sam wakes me up. But anyway, but after that, it's going to be just beautiful sleep, man. And God's got it under control, man. He doesn't sleep. So why should I miss out on sleep? The next thing, why do we have this mentality? A, Jesus did. B, Jesus expects us to. Jesus expects you to have some confidence. Jesus expects you to use your authority, Luke 10, but we're not turning there right now, Luke 10. Jesus expects us to, to use our authority. He says, man, listen, you can have confidence. Approach the throne of grace with boldness. But John chapter 14, we're right there. Let's look at verses 12 through 14. Jesus expects you to have some confidence, to have the greater mentality. Why do I know this? Because Jesus said in John 14, 12, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done. That's intimidating. If you really believe in me, you'll do the same works I've done. What's it say next? And even greater works. Because I am going to be with the Father. 
You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Woo! That's a tall order right there. But Jesus said, listen, listen to me. If you really believe in me, the same works that I've done, you'll do them too. Better yet, you'll do even greater works than I've done. Wow. Then he, I mean, that, that's even hard for me to comprehend. But, you know, we could explain that. But think about this. When Jesus was on this earth, he was in one place, right? There he is, Jesus. He lives in all of us now. The Holy Spirit does. There's billions of us, millions of us. Think about that. The works that we can do for Jesus, if we all really stepped up to the plate, are even greater because multiply that by a million, two million, a hundred million, if we really lived up to what Jesus called us to live up to. The works that we do, they won't be greater in power than Jesus, but greater in number. If Christians really, really believed the Bible, the number would be huge. And so anyway, but then he says, you can ask for anything in my name and I'll do it. You can have it. Anything you ask for in my name. Like that is just, I mean, that is really hard to wrap your mind around. But that's why you don't wrap your mind around the word of God. You wrap your heart, your spirit around the word of God. And so Jesus said, man, I'll tell you what, anything, ask it in my name and it'll be done. That's, that takes some guts. That takes some greater mentality. Grasshoppers don't do stuff like that. They're saying, well, God, just, just, just give me just enough to meet my needs, Lord. That's all. I'm not, I'm not selfish. I'm not greedy, Lord. Just give me enough to just pay my bills and meet my needs. Just take care of my little family. Well, that's all I'm going to ask for. You know what I say? You selfish jerk. What's wrong with you? Only asking God to just take care of your needs when God says, listen, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, but he wishes above all things that you'd prosper. God wishes that you would have more than enough. If you only pray to only meet your little needs, that's selfish. God, for you as a Christian, wants you to meet the needs of other people too. Amen? Am I making that up? I, I mean, I pray, God, listen, you, yes, take care of my needs, but I don't even have to ask you to do that because you already said you would. I'm not going to sit here and beg you to meet my needs when you already told me you would. How silly would it be for a kid to come to the dad? Dad, I know you said that you'd buy me new school shoes. Please do it. Please do it. Please do it. Please. Oh, I'm begging you, Father. Please, if it be in thine will, bestow upon me from thine bounty, O great one, to please. I already told you I was buying you shoes, man. Back off. You're annoying. And that's how some, and, and that's how some people are pleading with God, begging, oh, please do it, Jesus. And he's, I already said I'd supply all your needs according to my riches and glory. You cry, you quit begging, get up. I already said I'd do it, quit begging. But so, I mean, we have to quit begging God for things they already said, I'm gonna do that. You just say, thank you, Jesus, you supply all my needs. Thank you for doing it. But some people, they're begging God for, to do something he already said, I'm, I'm gonna do that anyway, so just stop, get up, you quit doing that. But for us, don't be the type of person, a grasshopper says, just, Lord, take care of me and my four no more. Just take care of our needs. That's, I don't want to be selfish. Get the faith where you say, God, you can get some extra to me. I'll go, I'll go pay their bills. I'll go help him out. I'll get him out of the gutter. I'll go support the missionary in India. I'll go feed this family. I'll bless all these people at Christmas. Get, go ahead, Lord. You can trust me with it. I'm, I'm, I'm trustworthy. Get it to me, Lord. I'll, just, I'll redistribute it, man. And that's what we should be able to pray for. That's not selfish. 
That's not selfish to say, God's word says he's going to prosper me. That's not selfish and arrogant to say, to actually expect him to do it. You think it's arrogant to expect God to keep his word to you? I think it's arrogant and conceited to say, no, God wants me to prosper. Yeah, he wants me to have money. He wants me to be in health. He wants me to do all this stuff. Yeah, that's not arrogant. That's just believing what your dad said. That's basic Christianity right there. And the greater mentality does that. And so why do we have this mentality? Because Jesus did. Because Jesus expects it to. And if you don't have that mentality, you're going to get bullied all the way through life by the devil. He's going to steal your lunch money every day. Give it over right now. Nope. Give it. Come on. Give me that peace. I want. Nope. Give me your joy now. And you're going to say, yeah, all right, fine, take it. Just leave me alone, please. And there's so many Christians that do stuff like that. We just say, no, I'm not going to do it. No, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I should really end there, but there's one last thing I'd really like to hit just because it's fun. But one thing that we as Christians, I encourage us to watch, one thing that can steal this greater mentality from you, is some of the Christian music that we hear on the radio sometimes. I was driving down the road the other day, and I'm listening to this song. I must, I forget what day it was. But anyway, I'm driving down the road, and this song comes on. I'm like, man, this is a really good tune. I like this. Yeah, I, I like the beat. The bass is good. I'm like, yeah, this is good. And so then the guy starts singing. I can't even remember exactly verbatim what it was, but he's like, you know, give me the strength when you take my child and and, and leave me. and And... You've heard that song, and this guy's talking about, give, Lord, help me know you're still there when you, when you kill my child. Literally says that, and I'm like, whoa! I would rather have just heard a whole flurry of curse words in my car than have heard somebody accuse God of killing children. <laughs> Shut that mess off. You kidding me? You accuse my dad of being a killer? How dare you? What's wrong with you, man? And call it Christian music? That's evil music right there. I'd rather listen to Snoop Dogg and, you know, whoever. Tupac. Tupac. I know what it is. I'm kidding. But but I'm saying, I'd rather listen to the, I mean, to the most vile stuff in the world than listen to somebody accuse God Almighty of killing children. And yet I know some people that probably even go to the church and listen to music like that. Yes, just give us the... Oh, Lord, and uh, that was one of these songs, yeah, you give and take away. No, no. Job said that, but then God said, uh, Job ended up having to repent and say, I spoke wrong about you, God. That was my bad. I said some, bad, I said some pretty mean things about you, Lord. Forgive me. And you're going to sing that, that God takes away from you? That you do you. I'm going to do me. God doesn't take away from me. God blesses me. He says, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. One of the songs that all the kids were singing a few years ago, you are good, but there's nothing good in me. What an insult to God. He's living on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit lives there. And you're going to say there's nothing good inside of me? I mean, me, yeah, there's nothing good right here. But on the inside of me, there's a whole bunch of good. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of me. And it quickens my mortal body. And because of that, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Get the greater than mentality, and you're going to start winning some battles in life. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand up together tonight. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.